according to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of His covenant. For the sake of Your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram. Year-long sports. Standardized testing that seems to come pretty often. Over and over again, we have children who are inundated with spotlights. They're either under the microscope, in front of the camera, or under the lights. In fact, the way we're raising our kids has left a generation believing that everything is really all about them. In 1963, there was a study taken by a group of psychologists who asked adolescents if they felt that they were important. At that time, 12%, one in eight adolescents, said that they believed that they were important. That same test was done 30 years later in the 90s at which point the adolescents then replied that 80% of them felt that they were important. And I suppose if that test were done one more time, another 30 years later, that number might reach right near 100%. Now I don't want to stand here in front of you or tell our young kids that you're not important. But somewhere along the way, we have decided that this is a me type of world. In fact, one of the mantras of this generation is just be yourself. Because yourself is what's really, really important. But I don't think that's what Scripture leads us to believe. In fact, if you go back and you look at the teachings of Jesus, He doesn't call us to look at ourselves. In fact, He doesn't even call us to be leaders more than anything else. He calls us and models a life of service. That's right. The Gospels have Jesus talking more about being a servant than being a leader. He doesn't say this is how you lead. He says this is how you serve. He doesn't say this is how you get someone to wash your feet. He says this is how you wash people's feet. Matthew chapter 20, Mama Zebedee comes out and catches Jesus and says, Hey Jesus, while I got you, why don't you have my two boys sit at either side of you? This would have been a place of honor. Well, it didn't take long for word to get around to the rest of the apostles as to what the wife of thunder 
had requested. And Matthew chapter 20 says that they became indignant. And they were upset. They were upset because that's where they wanted to be. And they probably had a few words with James and John. Maybe some of them thought, I'll go get my mom and she can ask. But listen to the response that Jesus gave to them in verse 25. It says that Jesus called them together and He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus understood that first and foremost, we are called to be humble servants of the Lord. God's leaders... Scratch that. God's followers can change the course of a people through humble service. And the example I want to give to you this morning is found in Numbers chapter 12. So if you've been waiting to open up your Bible, I know you're anxious to get your sword out and look. Open to Numbers chapter 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book. And we're going to get to look into the life of a man who was considered quite humble. In fact, according to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now that's God speaking, so God can say what He wants. And I believe that Moses was a humble man, but if you're the most humble man, you can't say, I'm the most humble man, because then I think you lose that. So he can't brag about being humble, but God makes this statement. But what is the context? But even before we talk about the context, I want to talk about this word, humble. What does it mean to have humility? Maybe for some, you associate humility with self-deprecation. But humility is not walking around talking about how bad your hair is, or how unintelligent you are, or how you can't pick a good football team to win the Super Bowl. There was no need to chuckle at that statement. But humility is also not just this idea of being weak. That somehow being humble means that we can't do certain things. Instead, as Jesus' model, it means that we choose not to. But I also don't want you to think that humility means that you're the person who's always diving on the grenade. That being humble means that you are somebody's doormat. Instead, humility is devotion. 
It's submission. And it's sacrifice. Three words that we don't like to talk about and certainly find difficult to model. It is thinking of others and putting others before yourself. It's not thinking the world is about me and how do I feel. It's about recognizing that there's others around us. A recent study suggested that the average millennial will take 25,000 pictures of their own face over the course of their lifetime. 25,000. I don't know. That's basically one a day. Now, I'm not just talking about, like, this is, I'm putting myself right in front of the camera, I'm taking the picture, and after 47 of those, I'm going to find the right filter and the right light, and I'm going to post it. Because I want everybody to see me and how good I look. Because this is my world and my life and my choice. But humility says something different. I love how Webster's defines humility. It says, freedom from pride or arrogance. Now all of a sudden, I really, really like the word humility. Because I don't know about you, but one word that I really love is freedom. And Webster goes so far to say that having humility breaks the chains of pride and arrogance. It allows the cell that we're locked in that says the world is all about me and I'm the really one that's important. Humility says you don't have to have the spotlight on you. Think about the effects that our children are having to deal with when the camera is always in their face when people are always talking about scholarships and their own feelings and what they want and how everything is important all of a sudden the spotlight being on you can leave you with a little bit of a sunburn and all the weight of am I good enough to be on the right team. And if I'm good enough to be on that right team, then I'll get bumped up to travel sports. And if I get bumped up to travel sports, then I can make varsity as an 8th grader. And then if I make varsity as an 8th grader, I'm going to look get looked at by colleges, and then I'll have oh, the scholarship. And all of a sudden, we have four and five-year-olds running around with a ball hardly bigger than a grapefruit. And parents are screaming and yelling. And what they're thinking is, scholarship. Or maybe it's not on the field. Maybe it's in the classroom. Maybe we've thought so much about how important it is for our kids to make the grade. To be in the top 10 percentile. Why, you've heard that a few times, haven't you? To make a good score on the ACT, the SAT, and all the other T's that go along with it. Of making sure that our kids get the right teacher in kindergarten 
so they can get a head start so that by fourth grade they're reading on a seventh grade level and as a seventh grade le level seventh grader they're they're reading on a college level and by the time they get to college they're reading russian novels and they have the scholarship because the world has made it all about themselves john popper describes humility as the opposite of a sense of entitlement. Think about that for a second. Humility says it's the opposite of a sense of entitlement. Entitlement says, you owe me, I deserve this, I earn this. And it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's something as simple as driving down the, the road and, and believing that you owe you are owed or you have earned or you deserve the lane in front of you. That is your lane. It's your space. And if somebody chooses to come in front of you, they have taken something from you. And you want it back. And you can't have it back, so you're going to hit the gas. And you're going to ride up on their bumper. And the whole time you're saying, this was my lane. You don't deserve to be here. And I'm going to let you know. It says, I'm entitled to this lane. And don't you dare think that you can have that space between you and, or, or between me and the car that was in front of me. I will make you pay for that. I've never done that before. I've heard about it. I've read about it. In fact, just recently, I was reading an article and having a conversation with someone about how a lady who was upset that as she was driving down the road, somebody had got in front of her in her lane and she thought, I'll show you. And she got right up on the car. And as a result of that, there was an accident. And her and her child died in an accident while she was riding the bumper of a person who had got in front of her. Because she said, it's mine and I deserve it. Humility instead looks at other people. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Paul is basically saying, I'm a servant of everyone. Of all people. How do you get to that place? How do you get to a place where you don't think you have to earn or deserve the scholarship? or the spot in front of your vehicle, or the respect from all your peers. It comes from being stunned by the grace of God. Of knowing the sacrifice that He went through. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 12 for just a moment, and let's look at the context in this very awkward story about Moses and his siblings. Verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1 says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. 
for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't He also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. I don't know about you, but this is, this is getting really scary. I mean, I don't know if you would say you're getting called into the principal's office or you're getting called out to the bike racks, but let me tell you this, this is a fight that they aren't going to win. And so they all come out. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. You know this, right? You've been there. You've been called into the office. You've had your parents yell your name from their, from their bedroom. And they used your whole name. And you all line up in there and you're wondering what's happening. And all of a sudden your name gets called. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now this is something you don't ever want to read. Then the anger of the Lord burned against them. And He left them. When the cloud lifted from the tent, there stood Miriam leprous like snow. And I'm really, I don't know why it was Miriam. I, why did Aaron get off on this? Was he not the instigator? Maybe she's the one start. Maybe he's the one who had repented. Or I, I don't know. But in this case, the cloud goes away and she's still covered in white. Aaron turned to her and saw that she had leprosy and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin that we have so foolishly committed. I don't know what Miriam's response was. Maybe she was just speechless. And maybe that was a good thing. So what's Moses to do? They're talking bad about him. Even worse, they're talking bad about his wife. All you mama bears in the room, or papa bears in the room, you know who you are. I know who I am. I don't want you talking about my wife. I don't want you talking about my kids. I can talk about my kids. But you can't talk about my kids. And don't you talk about my wife. You think Moses is ready? See? I told you. That's my wife. Don't you mess with her. Look at you. Snow White. How bad do you think you are now? Talking bad about me. Don't you ever do that again. You just walk on out of here. Take your flaky little skin with you and I don't want to see you anymore. Is that what happens? Don't you want Him to say that? Wouldn't you want to say that? You've been hurt, right? I've been hurt. 
I've been hurt and I've prayed for people to be hurt back. And sometimes, I've seen them get hurt. And I'm, I'm stuck with thinking, man, I feel bad for them. Or thinking, way to go God! They deserve it! You're paying them back for what they did to me! Because that's all about me. But listen to Moses. Verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Did you get that? For the one who had spoken bad about him and his family, Moses says, It's not about me. And he chooses to forgive. Humility is exemplified when Moses begs for Miriam to be healed. You see, God's followers can change the course of a people through humble service. We're going to talk about in class in just a few minutes where humility comes from. And how did Moses get it? I suspect it had a little something to do with 40 years in the desert by himself before he spent 40 years with others. But this is what we know. That Jesus chose servitude. He chose humility. He took what you deserve. You should die. All of you. Every one of you. You were allotted a place with the wicked. You wicked. You earned it. You deserved it. And you were headed for it. But Jesus, in His great love, in His mercy, in His sacrifice, in His humility, He took your place in hell. Your place is no longer there. The weeping and the gnashing that would go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever is not your future anymore. Jesus said, I will take that for you. And as a result, you are saved. As we talked about last week, we're going to be looking at some epitaphs, some life sentences. And our first one we have this week is that of Moses. That Moses was the most humble man. That in summing up his life, that people would say, not that He was a great desert wanderer. Not that He held the staff or parted the seas. The greatest thing that could be said of Moses was that he was humble. It's what was written about him. It's what we know of his life. And it's what each one of us are called to live to. 
I was talking with a, a friend of mine uh, who's in a church, and he's been asked to speak at the Valentine's service, uh, a Valentine's meal, and he's going to give the, the devotional. And he says, I, I, I need to talk something about love. And we talked about a few different places you could go. You could go to 1 John chapter 4. That says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love is of God. Or you could go to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, love is patient and love is kind. But I said, or you could talk about maybe John chapter 13, where Jesus, having loved His followers to the very end, He now showed the full extent of His love. If you had someone with unlimited resources and they wanted to give you the greatest gift that they could possibly give, what do you think it might be? For Jesus, the greatest gift that He could offer His loved ones was to show humility and service and a call to follow Him by washing others' feet. My prayer for you this week is that when you hear the snide remarks and you get cut off when you're driving down Turner, when you have an opportunity to shine the light, to turn the camera, to be under that microscope, to let the whole world know about you and what you're doing and what you're eating in your whole life as if that's what life is really about. Instead, shine the light on others. And when you do that, you reflect the love that Jesus has for us. This week, be stunned by the grace of God. Be in awe and model your life by following Jesus and showing humility. This is how we change the world. I'm telling you, I'm absolutely sick and tired of the way our leaders are treating each other and the way they're treating this nation. It is a disgrace that they can show nothing but hatred for one another. And I'm not saying it started with them, but I'm saying at some point we decided as a nation that we're just going to hate each other and just only care about ourselves. There's a company in Texas who decided they wanted to boost the morale of the people in that company. So they made a suggestion. They said, we want you to stand in front of the mirror and a hundred times a day, you're supposed to look in that mirror and say, you're beautiful. And you know what that gets? A really narcissistic group of people. A company in Japan, they wanted to help boost morale in their grocery store 
and they said something just a little different. Instead of standing in front of a mirror and saying, you're beautiful, they said, go out to someone else and tell them you're beautiful. It's something so simple as honoring others rather than focusing on yourself. This week, let's honor others. Let's put them first. And let's shine God in this world. That's my call and challenge to you this morning. And if you're in a place where you feel unworthy, or maybe you feel like you're the king, let me tell you, come to see Jesus. And let Him shine His light through you. I want to encourage you to do that this morning, Brett, as we stand and sing. Blessed is sure run.